Well, I hope you have a Bible with you there. Let's open it up over to Romans chapter. Actually, we're going to begin in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 will be our first verses that we're going to look at here today. And the title today is very simply, Christian Liberty and the Church. May I be a uh, take on the place of a poet today? Very briefly, because I am a poet and I know it. Or I am not a poet and I know it. Let me put it that way. Here you go, two lines. To live above with saints I love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints I know, well, that's another story. (laughs) As we continue to Romans chapter 14, we continue with another aspect of living for Christ. You know that we turned the corner in our study in Romans when we got to chapter 12, having to do with, okay, now what do we do with this salvation we have? Now what do we do as far as uh, living out that salvation that we have? This is what from chapter 12 on to the end of Romans is all about, and this is no exception what we're covering today. Paul talks about the proper attitude we as believers should have toward each other, very important now, in areas that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture. Now, I'm going to be speaking to this issue today, and I'm also going to be sharing with you some of the things I've learned since I've been in the ministry, observing local church life within our own church, and then also observing other churches, and then how All these churches relate to each other. I'm talking about those that are sound in the faith. This passage in Romans 14, this passage does not bring into question areas that are clear in the Bible. Do we understand that? Areas that are clear in the Bible. That's not what it's about. There are many truths in the word of God that are non-negotiable. Okay, it isn't like, well, you believe that, I believe this, you know, whatever, really doesn't matter. Yeah, you believe Jesus is really God. I'm not sure if that's true. Whatever, it really doesn't matter. We're both brothers. Well, actually, you're not. That is a non-negotiable. The deity of Christ is a non-negotiable, okay? There is no reason to have a dialogue about those things because those things are set in the black and white pages of Scripture. For God has clearly spoken, and he is not going to change his mind on these things, But when we talk about the faith, it must be what the Bible says clearly. I have said many times, the faith, when the Bible talks about the faith, it's talking about anything that the scripture says clearly. That is the faith. There are some things that we face and some things we do, choices we make in life as Christians that are not as clear as black and white, okay? In all fairness to the body of Christ, I understand that there are some who think some things are clear and others who do not see those things as clear. Now, that's an interesting thing to wrap your mind around because we may say, well, you know what? Scriptures aren't clear on that. And somebody else may say, oh, yes, they are. Absolutely. The scriptures are clear on that. Well, then that ends up being a point of division and conflict. That's going to happen, friend. It's going to happen. What should our attitude be toward each other? Remember this, we need unity to accomplish God's word effectively. We need unity to accomplish God's word effectively. Now, the source of unity is the word of God. It isn't our opinions. It isn't our us deciding what is valuable in scripture and what isn't. No, the faith is anything God says clearly. 
But, you know, there are going to be conflicts at times. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, it says this, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If it be possible. Now, I'll be honest with you, something I've observed in the last, particularly in the last 10 years, I've been thinking about this as our freedoms have begun to erode more and more as believers in America, censorship and so forth, that is going on, by the way, towards Christians today. But as our freedoms have been eroding, and I think of other countries where persecution is a daily part of life, and I'm talking about real persecution, is a daily part of life, people in jail, people who can't worship freely, and so forth. See, I I really do believe this. Some of the things today that are not really totally clear that we are totally convinced of or that we are passionate about, I do believe this. If you were thrown into a jail cell with that person you disagree with, these things would just fall to the floor and they wouldn't matter, okay? Again, I'm not talking about things clear in scripture. I'm talking about some of our opinions in light of the things that are there. Some of the conclusions we have, Now, some of you watching, you may say, well, he's talking about compromising. I'm not talking about compromising truth. I'm just saying there are some things that don't matter as much as others. And if we are in jail together, I think that would uh, kind of change the conversation about things. See, here's, here's the truth. It's another point. Every church has its own culture, all right? Every church has its own culture. I can accept the pastor in another church doing things one way in the church he serves in, and yet at the same time, when I think of Northland, I may not want to do that that way in our church, but I can respect the way they do it there. Instead of launching out and saying, having the idea of, listen, we are totally right in everything we practice here and the way we do things, and anybody who does it any other way is the enemy, that is a grave mistake. There's got to be room on things that are not essential. And uh, we need to have that respect, okay? There should be a mutual respect. Now let's look at some issues of Christian liberty. And the first one, before we even get to chapter 14, has to be addressed, and it is this, number one. If we can talk about our liberty, it shows we are free. Now think about that. If I can talk about my liberty, which means freedom, if I can talk about my liberty, it shows I have liberty. It shows I'm free. Are you free spiritually, friend? I want you to go with me, we're in Romans. Go with me over to chapter three. Romans chapter three. Because God wants you spiritually free. He wants you forgiven. He wants the bondage of your sin to be broken. He wants you to experience the grace of God. He wants you to have everlasting life. Now, how do you get everlasting life? Most people, if you were to ask them that, they would say this. Well, you know, by being a faithful Christian. By going to church, doing the best you can, believing in Jesus, okay? And and when they say that, they don't mean exclusively that. They mean that as, as well as a bunch of other things. God's word says this, the only way you go to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross, paid for your sins, and rose from the grave. 
And when you put your faith in him and only him as your way to heaven, that is when you receive everlasting life. Here in Romans 3, in verse 23, it puts it this way. It says, for all have sinned. That includes me and that includes you. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. You notice how we are saved or declared as righteous in God's eyes. It's free and it's by the grace of God. And when you see grace, it's always free. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption, okay? Jesus died, shed his blood as the payment for our sin to buy us out of the slave market of sin. That's what redemption is about. Whom God, referring to Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be the propitiation, the satisfactory payment through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission, the forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Verse 27, where's boasting then? In other words, if you are going to get to heaven through faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, then what do you have the boast of? Well, nothing. It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Based on works that you do, good works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without deeds. Without the deeds of the law. Those are good works. The law gave us good works to do. And God says, you're not justified. You're not declared righteous. You're not saved by good works. You're saved by faith. And that word without means apart from good works. There's a false teaching today called lordship salvation. I think appropriately called loadship salvation because they, they load burdens on people saying you need to jump through these hoops. You need to be faithful in these areas. You need to do these good works. Oh yes, believing in Jesus, but it's, it's not just... It's not easy believism. It's not simple faith. You have to also do good works, friend. That is a false gospel. That is a false message. That will not save you. Jesus completely paid the price. If he completely paid the price, what do you have to pay for? Nothing. Nothing. Okay? If I went into a store, let's say I was a little boy and I went into a store and I saw something I really wanted. Let's say uh, back then I really wanted maybe a, a, a baseball glove and I looked at it and it was impossible for me to buy it. And yet my parent, because they love me, my parents say, well, you know what? We are gonna buy that for you. We'll give it to you as a gift, okay? Now that doesn't mean once they give it to me, then I have to promise to do things or pay installments to get that, it wouldn't be a gift then. I would be buying that. I would be earning it. You don't earn eternal life. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need to understand when we get saved because of what Jesus did on the cross, buying our salvation for us, purchasing it, offering to us as a free gift, all you need to do is trust in him and he gives you that gift of eternal life. And there's that 
liberty now. We are now justified. We are freed from the penalty of sin. And we stand free. We stand in freedom. We stand in liberty now as believers. Now that's a wonderful thing. But what are we supposed to do now with that freedom that we have? Are we supposed to go back into sin? No, we're not. Here's the point before we move on. Friend, if you're watching and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ alone to get you to heaven, I want to urge you to do that right now. I want to urge you to do that. Trust in him. Would you do that? Now let's go ahead over to Romans chapter 14. And here we go. And I think Paul had in mind somebody who was newly saved here, uh, but I could be wrong. It really would apply to anybody who's weak in the faith. It says in Romans 14, 1, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations or disputes over doubtful things. Now remember, this is talking about within the local church. That's the point, within the local church. Remember, to accomplish God's work effectively, we need to have biblical unity. And so uh, we need to look at, okay, we are different. God made us all different. But let's put aside our differences and let's work together for the faith of the gospel, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Disputes over doubtful things. One source says the word doubt means that state of mind that hesitates between two contradictory conclusions. In other words, there's somebody, they're not sure about something. They're not sure if that's okay for them to do or not okay for them to do. They're just not sure, all right? Don't worry about it, okay? There are those, you see, who are weak in the faith. They are unsettled or they're feeble in what they know to be true. Many times a new believer, they're just not sure. You know, they get saved and and, uh, many times they want to do the right thing, but they don't know what is the right thing. They just don't have um, real discernment yet. Why? It's no fault of their own. They haven't grown to see things properly, to put the pieces together. They may have ideas that are not totally sound, even in the faith, in light of our liberty in Christ. Now, something that was an ongoing problem in the early church age, not only in Rome, but also in Corinth, was the issue of, you see, a lot of these people were coming out of pagan religions, and what they would do is they would offer meat to these idols, and many times these idols were statues, and they would offer the meat to them, and then the meat that that was offered when they were done with that, it was no longer of use in the temple, and so they would take the meat, and then they would go to the marketplace at outside markets, and that meat was offered at a low price. Well, there was nothing wrong with the meat, So some people would go, and even some Christians would go, and they would say, hey, boy, this is a good price on this meat. Let's buy that, all right? The problem, though, is this. Somebody coming out of a false religion where that meat was offered to the God they used to worship, they felt that there was a tie between that meat and that false God. And therefore, they were really hesitant to eat that. As a matter of fact, they were offended by it. And it was an ongoing problem. This was an issue in the early church. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8. Paul said to the Corinthian church, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. 
But take heed lest any means this liberty, this freedom of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Those who have come out of these false religions and they they don't understand yet that there's no real um, spiritual tie to the meat, okay? Number one, the God they were worshiping is a false God, not really a God at all. It was false. And so mature believers would understand, hey, this is good meat, this is a good deal, we're gonna get it, we're gonna have it. But these young believers who didn't quite understand it all yet, they would stumble and they would be offended by that. What do you do with that? (laughs) You don't say to the weak brother, well, listen, if you don't want it, I'll take it. Give it to me. I've got double portion now. Okay, that's not going to go over well. And I'd say, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, it is a big deal to some, these kind of things. And what do we do? We need to be considerate of them. Okay, which leads us to our second point. We should not argue with or judge one another over minor or unclear things. Now, let's expand out to the culture in which we're living in today, okay? Most of us are not offering or eating meat offered to idols. We should not argue with or judge one another over minor or unclear things. In other words, things that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture, This does not mean that we are not supposed to stand against things that are clearly spelled out in Scripture. Now, I know I've repeated myself, but some people have a hard time grasping a balance on these kind of things. Here's the truth. Because people are different, what happens? They see things differently. Because people are different, they see things differently. If you don't believe that, get married. Becomes very clear. Because they see things differently doesn't necessarily mean that they are the enemy. But this is the kind of stuff many churches are splitting over today. Things that really are not significant. Romans 14 verse 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. One is a meat eater, carnivore. The other is a vegetarian. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Paul's saying, listen, guys, I'm pleading for unity. Don't let these things get in the way of your church accomplishing what it needs to. Now, again, this eating uh, the meat, that's not really an issue, at least in our country today. But we have other stuff today that is splitting churches. Can I give you some of them? Shopping on Sunday. Okay, you might say, what's wrong with that? Can I tell you this? There are a lot of true Bible-believing Christians who still, now most have changed, but there are those who still do not believe that you ought to shop on Sunday. All right? What's interesting, though, is some of the same ones who say you shouldn't shop on Sunday will go out to eat in a restaurant on Sunday. Well, friend, aren't you shopping for food? Okay. Well, that's different. Do you see, though, why is there a conflict over stuff like that? Let's just leave each other alone on that. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Women, this is, boy, this has gone on for a long time. Women wearing makeup or coloring their hair, okay? Well, women should not wear makeup. And then there's others who say, well, you can wear makeup. You just shouldn't wear as much as her, okay? Earrings. Women shouldn't wear earrings. Women shouldn't pierce their ears. Okay, or, or they, can, they can wear earrings, but they just can't be bigger than one inch. 
they're bigger than one inch, they're carnal. They're wicked. Okay? Where'd you get that? Well, it's just true. Do you see where this is a problem? Okay? This is a problem. What's the difference? Buying a foreign car versus buying domestic. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to buy a domestic car now, the truth of it is, because most domestic cars, I know our president addressed it just recently. He says, you buy a car today, parts are from 12 different countries. That's what he said. What are you buying? You're buying a foreign car in some way. Now, maybe most of it was made here, but a lot of it was made other places. I like what he said about that. He said, you know, you buy a car today. He says, it's really, you're buying it from 12 different countries. He says, we need to be buying it from one country. We need everything to be made in the USA by American, okay? We can do it. That's another subject. But can I tell you this? There are some people who think, no, you have to buy an American car. If you don't buy an American car, you're bad as a Christian. You're a carnal Christian. Now, listen, friend, you can have your opinion. It's okay to have your opinion. It's okay for you to do that. But let's not make that an issue that splits the church. See, here's the thing. If somebody thinks they only want to buy an American car, again, a lot of the parts are from other places. But if they only want to buy an American, well, good for them. I think that's great. Great. Beautiful car. I rejoice with you that you got a new car. Good for you. But if I happen to buy a Honda... Don't judge me, okay? See what I'm saying? Here's another one. Women wearing only skirts and dresses. That's been an issue for a long time. I think it's finally starting to um, settle. But that was a big one. There are even churches saying things which is really bad. There were churches saying if a woman wears pants or slacks uh, that she's probably not saved. Well, that's really going too far with that has nothing to do with your salvation you're going to hell why you wore pants can you imagine where is that in the bible it's not in the bible and if it's not in the bible let's not make an issue of it how about this one drinking coffee or not drinking coffee can you imagine i can tell you right now anybody who doesn't drink coffee is not saved no just (laughs) just making sure you're paying attention (laughs) Okay. Um, Our youngest daughter, Laura, I mean, I got to hand it to her. She's teaching her kids to drink coffee. Um, Her husband does not drink coffee. Pastor Dave does not drink coffee. But you know, Pastor Dave and I get along great. And I can joke with him about it. I'm sure it gets old at times, but, uh, but I can joke with him about it. But you know what? What does it matter? It doesn't matter. Don't say, well, that person drinks coffee. They're worldly. Therefore, I'm not going to fellowship with them. Where do you get that stuff? It's liberty. It's freedom. You have a freedom in these areas. Here's one. Overhead screen. We project our verses and we project our, our lyrics to our songs on an overhead screen. Now, usually during church, we also have hymnals for those who want to, you know, who can read music and they want to do the notes and all that. But here's the point. Years ago, we had somebody who was coming regularly to our church. Well, at the time, we didn't have a screen yet to project words uh, up there in the verses. And so uh, then they moved away to another state. Well, then they were back in the air and they came to visit us. And they saw we now had a screen. I heard that they said, now they said this to somebody else, not me. I heard them say, I'll never be back to that church. They're using a projection screen. What does that have to do 
with the spiritual life. Friend, that's a preference. Do you understand? It's a preference. Here's another one today. Accompaniment, accompaniment tracks with music. Some churches believe there shouldn't be any accompaniment tracks. Shouldn't have that. All the music needs to be live. Some churches think, no, accompaniment tracks are, are more than what we can do as a church, and it's beautiful, and it's good. Are you going to split a church over something like that? Why? Is that a really a biblical issue? Don't make it a biblical issue when it's not. Here's another one. Altar calls in church. Altar calls. We've had people really complain and get hot by the fact that we in our church don't do, on a regular basis, altar calls. Okay? We don't have people come up front every week and so forth, make commitments or, or all these kind of things. We just don't want to confuse that with that's a requirement on getting saved. That's the main reason. All right? But here's the point. You can do an altar call, do it in the right way. If people understand that doesn't save you, it has nothing to do with you getting to heaven, all right? You can do that. It's not against scripture if you use it properly. Now, I know churches that do altar calls. I say, how do you feel about them, pastor? I'm fine with them as long as they do it right. I'm fine with that. We don't do it here. That's an issue of mutual respect. It's not part of the faith. As a matter of fact, you can't find an altar call anywhere in the pages of Scripture. Nowhere do you find it. Does that mean you can't do it? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means is if you don't, it's not that you're ungodly or an apostate. So, liberty, freedom. We have freedom in these areas. But you see, these are things that have really made a mess of churches today. Here's the truth of it. This is where we as fundamentalists have given ourselves a bad name because we major on the minors instead of majoring on the majors. We have gone from contending for the faith to insisting that the truth on every single detail of life is always as I understand it to be. That does nothing but cause problems. We leave no room for the thought that we could be wrong in the position that we hold to. Now, I'm not talking about theology here. I'm talking about practice. With this mindset, there's no room for growth because a person thinks they've arrived. That's a bad place to be. Listen, we have lost the ability to rate the importance of different issues. And that, friends, leads to legalism. We've lost the ability to rate the importance of issues. Some issues are so small, but we make them so big. That is a dangerous place to be. Let's keep minor things minor, major things major. Can I tell you this? Jesus condemned the Pharisees for that very same thing. In Matthew 23, verse 24, he was really letting them have it. And he said this, Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat, but swallow a camel. You strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Let me just say in relation to all this that we're covering, don't have more rules than you're willing to enforce. This is a tremendous truth. I didn't, it's not my idea. It's, I think it's biblical, Okay. Don't have more rules than you are willing to enforce. Let me give you an example of this. In the home, all right? I counsel parents. I do training and child training and how to raise up your kids and all that. 
And one of the great truths that we need to understand is when you're raising your children, have as few rules as you can get by with. Live by principle, not by rules. Use your head. Because here's the truth, friend. The more rules you have, the more you're going to have to enforce. The more you're going to have to discipline. And what happens is this. If you are a home and your home is full of rules, your children are going to fail more than they succeed. And so their whole life, they're going to be growing up in a rule-centric life. And that is not a good place to live. As a matter of fact, many homes that are that way, they end up losing their children because their children figured they got so frustrated they couldn't obey the rules. And so they just figure, forget it. I'll just, I'm always getting spanked because I'm rebellious. So I guess I'll just be a a rebel. And they lose their children. Not a good place to be. But you see, that's what a rule-centered home or ministry ends up having people who are rebellious. Why not emphasize the truth of God, the principles of God's word, the grace of God, the love of God? Not divorce from truth. No, Jesus was full of what? Grace and truth. There needs to be a biblical balance. The more rules, the more rule breaking. Do you understand? The more rules, the more rule breaking breaking. Hebrews chapter 13, it says in verse 9, it says, be not carried about with diverse or various and strange doctrines, teachings, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats or foods which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Don't focus on all this peripheral stuff. Focus on the grace of God. Focus on Jesus. And your heart then will be established. It'll be where it ought to be. Now back to Romans 14. It says in verse 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Now the the master here, obviously, uh, in the background, uh, Paul's really talking about Jesus. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, That person's not your servant. They're Jesus' servant. Who are you to judge that person, the servant of Jesus? Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. In other words, he gives an account to him. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Third principle is this. We should do all things to please Christ. He's the master. We should do all things to please Christ. This is emphasizing our accountability. Yes, we have liberty. Yes, we have freedom. We ought to do all that we do to please Christ. The word Lord is used eight times in the next five verses. Verse five, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded, fully persuaded in his own mind, fully convinced in his own mind. You know that people, well, Sunday's the only day we can worship. Now, you know, That is when, yes, the early church, they worshiped on Sunday. But can I tell you this, friend? The early church just didn't worship on Sunday. They worshiped as often as they could. That's what grace teaches. Grace, it's all the Lord's. It's all the Lord's, not just Sunday. I don't like calling Sunday uh, just 
you know, exclusively the Lord's Day. It is the Lord's Day in the sense of that's when he came back from the dead and we celebrate on Sunday instead of Saturday, which is the Sabbath, okay? Now, could a Christian worship on Saturday? They could. They could do that. We do it. Well, our building is open six days a week when things are normal. We worship on Sunday. We worship on Sunday night. We have Sunday school. Wednesday, during the week, we have school and preschool. We have our addictions program on uh, Friday night. What goes on there? Learning the word of God, praying to God, fellowshipping with one another. See, friend, it's not so much locked in a day. It's, It's who are you worshiping? Who are you living for? We should do all things to please Christ. In other words, we need to be convinced in our minds that what we believe about something is right. This passage is not referring to people who have weird beliefs for the sake of expressing their individuality. Oh, there's plenty of them out there today. I call them Christians at large, okay? Even if they are Christians, uh, sometimes you don't even know. Verse six, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. In other words, that is the way it's supposed to be. You have this persuasion, make sure it's a biblical one. Make sure it's in line with scripture. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. He that giveth thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth thanks. You want to eat something? Can you do it to the Lord? Can you do it in good conscience? Do it. If you don't want to eat something, Don't do it, as long as you're doing it for the Lord. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. In other words, you're not alone, friend. There's other people around, and you live your life, though, for Jesus Christ, which leads us to our fourth point, related to third. All that we do is to be done for the Lord, and here you go, not the flesh, not the flesh, not your old nature, This will take care of most of the issues of liberty people are asking about today. See, life is not to be lived for selfish reasons or purposes. There are those who hide behind this passage to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, saying no one has a right to say anything about what they're doing or what they're not doing. That's not the point of this passage, and that's not even biblical. If a person's living in sin, yes, If it's sin, it's sin. But don't judge their motive. Now, if it's sin, no, it's sin. It's open. It's it's clear. Fornication is fornication. That's a sin. Okay? For me to say that person shouldn't be living with that person and having fornication, that's not me being legalistic or self-righteous. I'm telling the truth. It's what the judge says. I'm not judging. I'm telling you what the judge says. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. My liberty, my freedom is to be used for the betterment of the gospel and reaching others and being a blessing to other people. God has given me liberty. I'm not to use my liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love, we are to serve one another. That's the proper use of my liberty. And if what I am doing offends somebody, I should not do that around them because it causes them to stumble. And that is wrong. Okay. Now, let me, let me tell you this. See, that's why Romans said earlier, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There are some people 
who just want everybody to bow the knee to them. And no matter what you do, it's not going to make them happy. You might say, Pastor, what do you do with those people? It's easy. It's not complicated. Ignore them. Ignore them. Don't hang around them. Okay? Avoid them. Maybe one day they'll come to you and ask and say, why don't you want to be around me? Well, then you can talk to them in love about it. Friend, we are to live for Jesus Christ. And we are to serve the Lord. And that will spill out into helping other people. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. You know, whatsoever is kind of all-inclusive, isn't it? It's like all. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. If there is something I want to do, can I honestly do it to the glory of God? That is the standard by which we live. You might say, I want rules. God's not going to give them to you. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. That's the standard. Back to Romans 14. It says in verse 8, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. That's the way it's supposed to be. Or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Keep it in mind. The Lord is supposed to be the center of everything. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Which leads us to our last point. We should realize that each person will give an account to God himself for the decisions he or she makes on all the issues of life. We should realize that each person will give an account to God himself for the decisions he or she makes on all the issues of life. Here in Romans 14, look at verse 10, and here you go. You know what, friend? Let me tell you something. I have found incredible comfort and encouragement in these three verses, verses 10 through 12. Because I've been wronged in my life, I've been misjudged, I've been slandered, all of these different things. These things happen in life. If you're going to serve the Lord, you're, you're going to be attacked by people. There's going to be jealousy, there's going to be dislike, there's going to be this thing and that thing. All these kind of things are going to take place. I have found great comfort in the fact that I just don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them or they ought to pay for their injustice or whatever. You know what? They're going to stand before God one day. That for me is so freeing. It is so freeing. It's like, I wouldn't even know how to deal with this situation. God's going to deal with them one day. If they're saved, they'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. If they're lost, they'll stand at the great white throne judgment. But look at this in verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You notice, by the way, you are going to give an account of yourself, but also you're only going to give an account of yourself. In other words, I'm not going to give an account for someone else. They're not going to give an account for me. I'm going to give an account for me. And all these wrongs will be accounted for. God 
will take care of him. By the way, the word account means a verbal answer, and that goes beautifully with the word confess in verse 11. Every tongue shall confess. Every tongue will have to face their life when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Yes, I know rewards will be given at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't believe, you know, I believe uh, punishment, if you want to call it that. I think that is in this life now is what takes place in the life of the Christian. They get chastened by God. They get chastised and so forth. But nevertheless, the judgment seat of Christ in Scripture, it is not painted as just an award ceremony. It is painted as an accountability to the Lord. I don't understand all the details, but I do know this. That's what the scripture teaches. And I'm going to give an account of my life to God when I stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. You know what that does? If you take that seriously, it keeps you in line. It keeps you in check. It helps you not carry the injustice of someone else toward you. It helps you not have to deal with that because God's going to deal with it. And it's going to be dealt with exactly the way that it should be dealt with. Because God knows the situation perfectly. And by the way, he is going to be judging the intents of the heart, why they did what they did, how they did it, and all the details of it. Everything we have done is going to be made manifest, the Bible says, before God at the judgment seat of Christ for believers. So, I don't have to judge a brother or sister over all the little details of their life. Something I disagree with, I'm not talking again, I'm not talking about clear sin, I'm talking about a difference of opinion on this or that or, you know, uh, uh, whatever. I can just relax and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to waste my time or my brain power, which is not as much as it used to be. I'm not going to waste my time on this. I'm going to focus on serving the Lord, doing his will. And by the way, friend, that is a freeing way to live. God will take care of it. Yeah, but, you know, maybe they did it in a, in a you know, they did it with a wrong motive. God will judge that. He's the only one who, who knows those things. I wish we had more time. We would look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, very revealing very revealing about God's going to judge the motives and intents of the heart. An old proverb states this, if everyone sweeps in front of his own house, then the whole street will be clean. A lot of truth in that. Verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Wow. Let us therefore not judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. If we all live that way, I got a feeling there'd be a whole lot less judging of one another anyway. Why? Because we'd be loving one another instead of offending one another. Now, friend, again, we'll pick up on this next week. It continues into chapter 15, this whole concept. But if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do that today? Would you do that today? Right where you sit, you're listening. Put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You might say, how do you do that? You just, in your mind, trust him. He knows what you're thinking. You can express it through prayer if you want. There's no formal prayer of salvation or anything like that. But put your trust in him. He'll give you everlasting life. Would you do that right now in the quietness of your mind? Trust in Christ. 
Now, if you trust in Jesus Christ today as a person, you become a Christian. You become a child of God. And we would love to know that today this made sense to you and today you trusted Christ. You can contact us. We'll give you some free literature. We'll send that out to you to help you in uh, growing now as a believer. But please put your faith in Christ. He loves you. He wants you to be his child. He wants to save you. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.